Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. But we're entering into a passage in Ephesians where Paul, I think, experiences somewhat of this same excitement. We, we covered verses 1 and 2 last week of chapter 1 in Ephesians, and honestly, we really just covered verse 1. Uh, but I'm not going to go back and, and try to cover verse 2 that in-depth. But with beginning with verse 3, And going through verse 14, in the original language, in the Greek, this is a grammar and an English teacher's nightmare. And this is the one thing that my grammar and English papers always came back marked in red with. It was run-on sentence, run-on sentence, run-on sentence. And I think that God may have been laughing, going, it's okay, he's going to be a preacher one day. (laughs) He's going to become familiar with run-on sentences. But verses 3 through 14 in the original language is all one sentence. It was like the Apostle Paul began writing and he couldn't control himself. He either got so excited or so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit or both that the pen was just going crazy. And there was no punctuation, there was no anything. It was just one long continuous thought. And that's what we're going to start. We're going to, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at this passage. Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. So if you would, open your Bibles with me and, and read this. It'll also be up on, on the screen for you to follow along as well. Verse 3, out of the ESV. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Let's pray again this morning. Father, as we come to this time in Your Word, we pray that the reading of Your Word was pleasing to You. God, we also pray that everything that's said beyond this is pleasing to You, is glorifying to You, honors You, and magnifies Your name. God, I pray that You be with everyone who is hearing this message, whether they're hearing it here in church, online, or sometime at a later date. God, I pray that you would open their minds, open their ears, open their hearts, and open their spirits to receive the truth from your word this morning. Father, I pray uh, today as I pray every week, uh, God, use my voice. Remove me, remove my opinions, remove my interpretations as much as possible, and allow your Holy Spirit to speak through me. So I pray that my words are the words of the Holy Spirit spoken in my voice this morning. Father, to you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting with verse 3, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, this passage, verse 3, is what sets the foundation for verses 4 through 14. This is the contextual foundation that this passage is built upon. So let's keep that in mind as we move forward, because we're going to look at a few words here in just a minute that it's really easy for us to get distracted by. It's really easy for us to get hung up on, and it's really easy for us to lose our focus on what the contextual foundation that Paul has established here in verse 3 really is. And that is that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So first off, let's look at that first statement. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word blessed means that there is a responsibility on our part in the contextual foundation of this. That Paul is making a blanket statement here. He is saying this is what everything should point to. Everything in our lives, in our church, in our families, Everything that we do needs to be guided by this one principle. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So understand that every word that you speak, every post that you make, every interaction that you have with someone else, every action that your life emanates, you need to make sure that God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is being blessed by what you're doing. It's kind of quiet in here. It's okay, I expected that. Every word, every action, every deed should bring blessing to God? Is it honoring God? Because that's what that word means. To bless means to magnify, to honor, to uplift, to make, make great His name. So how, much, how many of your interactions are blessing, magnifying, honoring, making great His name? How many of your social media posts are doing the same thing? How many of your responses and your reactions are doing the same thing? How much of your life is blessing the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? When, when we turn that microscope onto someone else, or when we turn it onto the events of the world, it's really easy for us to be able to sit back and go, well, that's not God-honoring. Well, God's not being magnified in that. We're not blessing God with doing that. But when that magnification device turns and is pointed towards us, we tend to give ourselves a little bit more leeway, don't we? I mean, don't we give ourselves a little bit more slack? It's like, oh, brother, you don't understand. That just, that's just who I am. That's just how I've always been. That's just me. I'm just speaking the truth. Speak the truth in love. It's what we're commanded to do. Not love to speak the truth. Because oftentimes there's a difference. But that's what Paul is laying down as a foundation here. He's saying that everything we do should bless, honor, magnify, and bring greatness and glory to the name of the God our Father 
Jesus Christ. And then he begins to tell us why. And this is when Paul really starts picking up steam. He lays out this blanket reason as to why when he says that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, I told you last week, and I'll echo it this week, I believe that if there are two words, if we had to summarize the book of Ephesians in two words, it is in Christ. Because we see that repeated over and over and over again in Paul's writing. So, in Christ, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, let's pause right here for another moment. Um, how many of you enjoy being blessed by God? Go ahead, put your hands up. You can be honest. He knows anyhow. Right, all of us, right? And listen, if you're sitting there and you didn't raise your hand because you honestly don't want to be blessed by God, I will take every one of yours. Okay, I'll take all of your blessings. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not shy about that. But we all want to be blessed by God. But the problem that we have is we struggle with the way that God chooses to bless us. Because we want to be blessed the way that we think we need to be blessed. Oh, God, that 400 and some million dollar Powerball. Oh, God, do you know how, how much good I would do with that? Oh, God, if you could just give me that new job. Or if you could just give me that raise, that promotion. God, if you would just heal that and, and restore that relationship in my life that's been broken. God, if you would just heal this disease, if you would just take care of this situation, then God, that would be such an amazing blessing and you would get so much glory from that. Understand that God does bless us like, like that from time to time. He really does. There's no denying that. But that's not the foundational source of his blessing. Because if you look in the Old Testament, you'll see that God's blessings are primarily by land, by possession, by livestock, uh, by things of that nature, by enlarging your family. It's mostly all physical blessings. And then Jesus comes and it says, in Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Folks, sometimes spiritual, and most often, most all times, spiritual blessings will look differently than what physical blessings look like. So Paul, I think having understood this, begins to deal with this topic of beginning to articulate what some of the spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. And that's where we see verses 4 through 14 come into play. So let's read verse 4, and let's start kind of taking this and dissecting it a little bit verse by verse here even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Stop. So like I said, there's a couple words that we're going to come across that's really easy for us to get distracted and lose our focus off of the fact that Paul's telling us that we are being blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So that's the foundation. So there's a word in here that he chose us. And we're going to see another one here in the next verse that says that we are predestined for adoption. And you can ask the elders. I sent them like six to seven pages of notes. I went way down the rabbit hole this week. Of the, because this is where we establish the doctrine of election. All right? And if you are familiar with that, we can talk about that at a later time. If you're not and you want to know what that is, we can talk about that at a later time. But I, as I was praying for this and about this message and how deep I needed to go into that, God was over and over reminding me through this that while those things are important, and while that theological mindset and that belief system is important, 
that's not the context of what Paul's writing here. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but at the same time, I don't want to brush it under the rug either and act like it's not there. God making choices and God choosing is not a new thing. It's not a new thing as Paul was writing it around 60 A.D. while he was on in-house arrest in Rome. It's not a new thing as the Ephesians and the other churches at Asia Minor were reading this. It's not a new thing today. God chose the nation of Israel to be His people to bless other nations. God chose Abraham to make a covenant with. God chose Jacob. God chose Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. In John 15, Jesus makes the statement to the disciples. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. So God making choices is nothing new. But see, what we like to do is we like to take these words of chosen and election and predestination, and we like to draw dividing lines theologically that way that we can align ourselves with other tribes of people who think the same way that we do, and we can put distance from those who don't believe the same way that we do. I'm going to tell you my thought this morning is that whether, because you have these camps called Calvinists and Arminianists. And Calvinists believe that in the complete and total doctrine of election, that it's God's choice, we don't have a say in it. Then you have the Arminianist who leans towards more of the free will concept, and it is our choice. Here's the difficult part about this. They're both biblical. God's election, God's choosing, God's predestination. It's all biblical. But guess what? So is Him giving will to man. Mankind having a will is biblical also. Jeremiah, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. But here, so I don't feel like whether we believe in the doctrine of election, whether we align ourselves with the Calvinistic beliefs or the Arminian belief, I do not believe, me personally, believe that this is the essential thing that the church needs to be worried with. But I will tell you what I do believe in this time of being chosen, being predestined, being elect, I believe that the essential question that we have to answer as Christ followers is who is sovereign in salvation? And here's what I mean by that. Who is responsible for salvation? Do we believe that it's God and that we respond to His calling on our lives? Or do we believe that it's us and it's something that we can do, something that we become good enough. We say the right things. We do the right things. We get to a place in our lives so that we can qualify, that we straighten ourselves up. Who is sovereign in salvation? My, my brothers and sisters, that to me is the essential question this morning. Because I am here to tell you that this church, this body of believers, the elders, and myself as a pastor, stand unapologetically on the fact that it is God and God alone who is sovereign over salvation. There is nothing that you can do to ever be good enough to earn your salvation. Can I, can, amen, if, if anybody believes in that. That it is God and God alone who is responsible for salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that all people come through Him. Again, we can sit and we can talk about 
the election, the free will. We can talk about all of that all we want to in other times. But for the sake of this and the sake of the context of this message, understand that Paul is writing to believers and he's saying that God has chosen us. God has predestined. As believers, we are in Christ to be adopted. And he's writing this as something that should cause us to worship God, not the opposite. Because do you realize that whenever we truly become divisive and bicker in and amongst the family of God, that it's doing the opposite of honoring God? That it's doing opposite of worshiping God? Because the essential thing for us this morning is that it is God, it is through His sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, that salvation is an act of grace in our lives. And that is something that we should worship God and, and one other thing real quickly before I move on from that. One thing that we must remember as a church, no matter the, and we're going to see here in a minute that this doctrine of election and free will, it's mainly a mystery that we're probably never going to understand. That's just the reality of it. But the danger comes in that if we lean one way too far, then we kind of throw our hands up in the air and say, what's the need for evangelism? Let's just go out on a limb. And, and this is not me speaking theology or belief, but this is just me kind of going along with an opinion here. Let's say that we do believe that everything is 100% elect. Okay, That God has done that. Let me ask you this. If that is the case, if that is the case, who knows and who determines who is elect and who's not? There's a question. God, right. Not us. If that is the case, which I, I, don't, I don't believe that 100%. I don't. But if that is the case, then you and I don't know who is and who isn't. Only God does. So we need to, regardless of whether it's 100% elect or 0% elect, our commandment and our mission remains the same, to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ indiscriminately with all people, period. Can I say that again? Of course I can. Why can't I? Our mission and our job remains the same, to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ indiscriminately with all people, period. Because again, why? He's God, and you're not. All right, let's move on. Soapbox, done. Okay, let's go. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Let those words sink into you just really quickly, that before the foundation of the world, he chose you. Now see, this is the mystery of it. We're going into like eternity past here, okay? This is the part that we're not going to understand. But the difficulty with things like this is our two to three pound brains, and it's according to who you're talking to, whether it's a two or a three pound brain that they have. Our two to three pound human brain has difficulty. It's impossible for us to completely understand this. And we get hung up on this. But I, if you're hung up on this, Theologically, if you're hung up on this, I want to ask you this question. Why are you not hung up on the other parts that you can't understand? Like the fact that we believe in a triune God? 
You know, we believe in a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, which actually these verses, verses 3 through 14, give us a basis for that belief because in one section he talks about God the Father, in the next section he talks about God the Son, then the last section he talks about God the Holy Spirit. How many of you truly understand all the depths of the trinity? Okay. How can we understand that God was completely man, or Jesus was completely man and completely God at the same time? I can't. And there are so many things that we believe, and rightfully so, by faith. Don't get hung up on something that God never intended you to fully understand. Love Him. Focus on Him. And that's what He's calling us to do here. That before the foundation of the world... Guys, if you're facing a difficult time now... I want you to put that into a little bit of perspective in the fact that before this even came about, God was thinking about you. Before this struggle even started, you were on God's mind. Before you were born, God was thinking about you. Before any, anything that you can see, anything that you can touch, feel, taste, smell, anything that was created before the foundation of this world that was created, God was thinking about you. Isn't that an encouraging thought? I mean, shouldn't that change our perception of what we're going through and the things that we're facing? Is that, you know what, I'm facing this today, but God was not only, God's not only thinking about me now, I wasn't only on His mind yesterday, but from the very before the foundation of this world, God was thinking about this, and He knew about this. You know, it's easy for us to look at the situation that our world's in, the events of the week, and it just seems like, you know, each week there's new things that come about that make this world more concerning. And you know, and I, you know, I've talked to some of you, I tried to return 2021 of that seven-day free trial period, but it wouldn't let me. But when we think about no matter what we face, our hope should be in Christ Jesus, period. Amen? Biblical hope means an earnest expectation, an anticipation that what is promised will come to pass. When was the last time that a man or a woman a politician, a political party, a company, a stock market, uh, an ideological belief system, how many times can you honestly say that that type of hope has followed through in their lives and what they're doing and what they're saying and what they're enacting? Our hope, if it's an anticipation, an eager anticipation and knowing that good will come, that promises will be fulfilled, there is not a source on this planet that's going to live up to that. But one that does is Jesus Christ. Each and every time. And that's who we are being blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Those blessings, those promises are secure in the work and in the person of Jesus Christ. So if your focus is not there. If your hope is not there, then consider this your opportunity to put it back there. To repent and place your focus back 
on Jesus Christ. So a couple things that we can see in verse 4 that we know are expectations or reasons that God has chosen us, that God has predestined us. With this, all of this language that we get so easily distracted by that sometimes we miss the actual playing out and the purpose and the reason in our lives. Verse 4 is that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now these are also, if you know, I, I said that the two words that I would use to describe Ephesians would be in Christ. Uh, if I had to give you another set of two words, it would be be careful through the book of Ephesians because there's a lot of things that can distract us off of the main purpose. Chapters 1 through 3 of this book, Paul's talking about what Christ has done for us. Everything that He's done for us. And then verse, or chapters 4 through 6 are about how those should be playing out in our lives. How we stay obedient to those. So understand that we are still in chapter 1. But whenever we see the words that it's to be holy and blameless, sometimes we believe, and we have this bent and this tendency, to think that we need to do things to qualify for this. Blameless means that you are found innocent in His sight. Let your minds wrap around that for just a moment, please. That you, the worst of sinners, and I say that because I am the worst of sinners also. Worst of sinners can be found blameless in His sight. How does that happen? In Christ. And to be found holy. I don't know about you guys, but I can give you a laundry list at the end of each and every day as to why I am not holy. Lists of faults, lists of failures, lists of times that I've fallen and sins that I've committed and times that I've not been obedient to what Christ wants me to do, times that I've failed my family, times that I've failed my church. And these, this is just within a 12 to 14 hour period. So holiness is not something that we can muster up in ourselves. It's a position that we have in Christ Jesus. Because when we are in Christ, then God sees us through the blood of His Son. And if there's nothing else that should cause us to worship Him this morning, that should be it. He predestined us for adoption. He's, he's brought us in. He's, he's chosen us for His family as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters. In church, again, Paul is writing this to tell us about this spiritual blessing because it's not a physical blessing because there's nothing that you and I can do to earn this. There is nothing that we can do to qualify this but say yes to Jesus. Now, I, I, I kind of want to start wrapping it up with this. I want to ask the praise team, if you would, to, to come forward.
In John 6, we get kind of this encapsulation of who is invited by God. I want to make this simple statement because I know that I've dealt with some things and we haven't dived into dive, dove, divin, divin, dive, um, whatever that word. We've gone into um, some things. You ever have those words that you just don't know if it's the right grammatical thing or not? Every one of my grammar teachers that I had through my years is going, If you take anything away from this message in regards to the chosen and to the predestined thing, in John 6, Jesus said that all who my Father has given to me may come. That's the words of Jesus. All that my Father has given to me may come. And God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. All may come. Period. All may come, but it's only through Jesus Christ. And verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Folks, if we're getting so caught up on other things that our focus is taken away from Him and His amazing grace, then I'm, I'm going to read this to you. The second slide of the Revelation section up there, Jonathan, if you don't care, the very last slide. This is the church at Ephesus. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. If we're taking our focus off of our first love to squabble and cause division over theological items that we will never fully understand, guess what? We've drifted away from our first love. 